0: That's too bad. I was gonna. Now that I know that that is uh, me reading Cristiano Ronaldo quotes, is your ringtone? I'm gonna start calling you more often. I'm back. Where were you? Uh, Changing shoes. Why would you wear shoes during a podcast? (laughs) I was putting on my slippers, getting comfortable.
1: Seems feasible. Hello and welcome to the
0: fifth episode of Third Degree, the podcast where we cover all things football club Dallas. My name is Peter, transmitting live from the very old o Stadium where I used to watch the Dallas Tornado. Joining us is Dan Crook, or is it Crook-E, since there's an E at the end, Dan?
1: It's very much a silent E. And uh, thank you very much. I'm joining you live from Shellis-Heinemann's Town of Love.
2: <laughs> what does that mean?
1: <laughs> do you not remember the famous in drill? Oh, yeah, I do. That blew yeah. everyone's hamstrings simultaneously? Yeah, I do. forgot about
0: that. And that's the uh, dulcet tones of uh, founder and editor of Third Degree, Buzz Carrick. Greeting Buzz. Come in, Buzz. How you doing, fellas? I'm calling in from the Blue Sky Training Facility in the Colony where FC Dallas used to practice prior to Toyota Stadium. I It's so funny you bring that up. I specifically remember how we were all so excited that Blue Sky was opening up. And yeah. w- we all thought that was like the most next-level future of club soccer, pro club soccer in the United States back then. You remember well, that? It
2: was. It was compared to uh, Green Hill, where a uh, lane suitor was stepping in holes and in his career. I mean, relative to where. Or uh, UT a uh, field outside of UT Dallas, not even like a real actual pitch, just a random field. So yeah, but compared to
0: those you, things, Blue Sky was a was a palace. It was it, well, it no, but it wasn't originally. Remember when it first opened? It was the indoor facility, and then there was a single field kind of behind it, off to the side, and right. the field was so poorly constructed they couldn't use it originally. Remember? I don't remember that, but I remember before, prior to actually going there, I remember the concept
2: was was just such a huge leap forward at the time we all felt for the team.
0: Yeah, for some reason I seem to remember that it was so mushy and marshy and not well built that Dave Durr and the rest of the club were not even sure they were going to be able to use it for like six or eight months after it was open
2: uh i i'm sorry i don't remember that part so i'm I'm really your story sorry
0: no we can ask andy andy swift remembers all of these stories in great detail he's got so many amazing stories about the early days of the dallas burn i'm going to talk him into doing a book someday um but i just anytime we tell about these stories i'm just reminded how janky mls 1.0 was back in the mid to late 90s it's in uh, these days it's high comedy right
2: well, where, where we are now relative to then is light years. But, you know, as we said, even then, it was light years ahead of 1996. I mean, uh, you know, every year this, club's, this club and this league is taking steps. I mean, the version of NLS we're in now, people like to joke it's 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever. Really, it's just it's 20.0. It's so far
0: beyond where we started. And poor Dan, who comes from a place where his home club is like 375 years old. This all sounds really, really quaint doesn't it, British, Dan? A little bit, yeah. Do you just want to pat us on the heads and go, oh, you cute kids?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've, I've definitely seen my fair share of uh, crap stadiums and crap training grounds. It's nice to hear it started from a decent level. Well,
0: this podcast, episode number five, was largely originally intended and planned to focus specifically on what's happening next uh, with the club, like what you know now they've they've fallen out of the playoffs the end of the season crash and burned in a slightly only better way than it did the year prior um and we were all at least i I'll speak for myself pretty sour about how it all ended um but then something magical happened. We got an interview to read with Dan Hunt midweek last week that pretty much the more I read it, the, the more my hair started standing on end from the utter shock of some of the things that Dan Hunt was saying in this article. And, and Buzz, am, am I overreacting to this? What, what were your comments to Dan Hunt's uh, answers to those questions?
2: Well, the first time I read it, uh, every paragraph I came across, I was more and more surprised and more and more shocked by what he was saying because it didn't line up with any information I was getting out of the team. Uh, or any of my own thoughts about which way the team goes. Um, I Once I sat on it a little while and thought about it for a little while, I actually have some thoughts about, uh, from his perspective, what his, some of his answers may have to do with it. and And I'll talk about it on a macro level really quick. I think some of his answers are twofold. One, to maybe sort of deflect and hide a little bit what they're doing. And two, uh, if you say right out we're getting X or we're gonna go get X, and then you don't, then what? So you kind of, I think uh, some of that article and some of that quotes from him is a little bit of uh, deflection or um, a little bit of
0: um, a little bit buzz. covering
2: our tracks. That's but you know that's the only thing I can come away with because when I read it the first time and everything every time since then, the stuff he says, I'm like, I, I wonder if you're watching. Which yeah, but harsh it's, re- it's
0: a little answer. too late to be uh, hiding your intentions because they've been talking about insisting that they need and planned on getting a number nine for, what, the last three years, four years? Well, certainly on the record, they've been talking about it
2: all season. And uh, we could make the case that they've needed one for years, and Oscar has talked about needing one for years. But for sure this season, both Oscar and Clavijo have talked about that on record multiple occasions. So it's not like... It's this idea that, like, they're still evaluating and trying to decide what, uh, you know, maybe we could just do it by committee. I'm not buying that when both your head coach and your head technical director were saying this for the entire year.
0: Well, I probably should have said this to start this segment uh, by clarifying. What I'm referring to is an article that came out at uh, MLSsoccer.com back on November the 9th. That was your birthday, wasn't it, Buzz? Yeah, happy
2: birthday to me. What a, what a good article. birthday present from the
0: club to you. How nice yeah. of them. Yeah. That's a really sweet present. And yeah. um Uh, It was funny because uh, I read the article and I immediately started uh, getting into our group chat and going, oh my God, are you guys reading this? And uh, we can all agree if we just want to run through this kind of quote by quote, we can all agree that Dan at least started with something we all uh, feel like he's got spot on, which is quote, we've got to be cleaner in front of the net and we've also got to be cleaner on those entry passes into the box.
2: That raises some questions, you know, the passes into the box being cleaner, I can sort of see how you want to get that point across, you know, coming from last year to this year, the point was they're shooting too far outside. We got to get into the box. Uh, You know, once you're getting the ball into the box, I don't know that necessarily how much cleaner, I mean, you're going to put your inability to score on the passer necessarily. I mean, I kind of buy that a little bit, but you know, when it's, it's when you look at the volume of chances, they, there was plenty of chances created because you got plenty of shots off of it. I mean, it's not like they go, the balls into the box aren't producing shots. They're certainly producing shots. So that's like saying our midfielders aren't – we're not scoring because our midfielders aren't good enough. So I'm, I'm not sure I buy the quality of the ball into the box and as the only argument. I, I'll, I'll grant, you, I'll grant you, that's a little bit of a point, but it's not – that's not the reason why you didn't score any
1: goals. As Buzz kind of touched on, they'd have to pass into the box first rather than shoot from 35 yards because there is no clear pass already there. All right, there's a
0: paragraph that talks about improving in the final third, but then we get into probably the most problematic portion of the story, which is uh, Dan's comments specific to uh, the team's longstanding need for a number nine, a real number nine, like true life. (laughs) <laughs> like a real boy number nine uh and the and it says despite all that hunt isn't entirely convinced that dallas needs a dominant number nine and then he does quoted by saying they're interested in looking at the position it is still and has been and remains without question to-do list numbers one through four for this team right
2: well it certainly is from everybody that we've found talking about this team i mean the 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 guys at the league website wrote about needing a nine. We've written about needing a nine. Guys on other uh, websites and uh, John Arnold of the Moore, Dallas Morning News talked about needing another nine. You know, it's not like it's, it's a, a question mark that they have a problem finishing. And, and I'll even give you a stat that will back this up. Um, Dan's mentioned something about, you know, he felt like there was plenty of chances created and guys just need to be better at scoring. Uh, what would you think if you had to guess – the biggest season was for FC Dallas in their history for the number of shots. What 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 kind of era? Maybe I'll even let you go broader. Like what year or what year do you think FC Dallas had the most shots?
0: Um, Dan, you want to go first?
1: Uh, no, it's a trick question.
0: <laughs> it is a trick question
2: because the answer is 2018, 483 shots. That's the most shots that FC Dallas has ever had in their history in a single season. Now you can talk about it if you want. Uh, the number of games have been slightly different from year to year to year. But the bottom line is 483 is the most they've had in the regular season in their history. They had 482 once back in 2011, and then the third most shots they've ever had in their history was last year when they had 481 shots. So it's not opportunity. It's just finishing. That's it. That's the only thing. That's the only problem is scoring, shooting the ball into the net instead of shooting the ball around the net. In in their article, he even talks about Coleman – well, uh, hold on, wait, losing, wait, 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 hold on. That's okay, save we'll save that save that one. Yeah, please okay. save that.
0: I think that's a really well, critical.
2: Well, the, the part I'll mention about it is that I will agree that when Coleman was in the game, the collective team plays better. It's clearly better when they have a pure nine. Now, Coleman didn't score either, but him playing the way a nine needs to play makes the team better. So I don't know how you could possibly watch what they do, watch how the team it, and
0: not think I have far enough way one need and one need only, and that's to get a nine. All right. Well, since you brought it up, let's let's touch on that. Dan um, Dan Hunt's quote was uh, Coleman's ability to quote create a lot of chaos, and then the writer then says that his uh, injury, his ACL tear, was a major reason for Dallas's downfall.
1: I mean, the downfall started uh, quite a while before his ACL tear. Now, he went through short runs in the team. Didn't really get consistent starts. Uh, you know, or even you know a consistent, even consistently being the final half hour guy, the guy to make a difference. People like to trump up the stat of how many minutes or how few minutes rather he had on the field with Mara Diaz. It, you know, it just doesn't add up to someone that's a consistent threat. That's where it's just vital that that they're there. And it's, you know, catastrophic to lose them.
0: OK, and, and maybe both of you have an opinion about this. But the reason why I, I harp on the Christian Coleman part related to the story and related to Dan Hunt's answers in the story, because what you really if you get if you get a message out of Dan's uh, answers in this article, it is largely the sense that he feels they've got all the parts they need. Christian Coleman included, by the way, that they don't really need to go get anything else. And what I wonder is, is that a byproduct of Dan and Clark um, being dissatisfied with the one time they went out and spent $2 million on a dude, he turned out to be Christian Coleman. And they're just not going to do that again.
2: I think that's probably a pretty good guess of what they're saying, because the other time they spent lots of money on a dude, it was the Nielsen, and that didn't work either. But they've also spent they also spent $800,000 on Castillo and that worked out really well. So and they spent a little over
0: a million to get Grezo and Grazo's big. Yeah.
2: And I can't remember what they spent on Diaz, but I don't think it was nothing. And they spent some money on Arronakis too and we all have massive hopes for that kid. So I, you know, it's not necessarily a uh, a lose-lose. I that was what I what I what I've said earlier was I read the article I was like none of this matches what I'm seeing and I tried to figure out why and it's like the only thing I could come up with is is to try and cover themselves if they're not able to get anything done because it's the list goes beyond a number nine. They probably need to change five or six different players in the team. I mean, you got to refresh the team. Even when you're standing pat, you still got to refresh the team.
0: You don't refresh the team, people blow past you and then you're done. So, speaking of that, there was the weird uh, part of the conversation with Dan in the article where he uh, discusses the concept that they. And it says they're considering moving nominal winger Michael Barrios into, quote, more of a Joseph Martinez type, unquote, role in the middle where they believe the Colombian could thrive. Okay, Um, Joseph Martinez, Michael Barrios. The only thing I think those two have in common are neck tattoos and slightly stocky builds. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh,
2: you know, they don't, they don't play very similarly.
0: You know, they're both kind of
2: small, as you say, and they're both relatively quick, but uh, they're completely different kinds of players. So I don't, uh, you know, they did use, um, uh, because Barrios, excuse me, Barrios in that kind of role late in games, it did not work so well. Most of the games where they tried to play him as a striker, he ends up playing just like he does as a wing and you get this completely lopsided formation. And this is going all the way back to the champions league. I remember the, when they started him as a forward, and halfway through the game, we're like, "This passing chart is ridiculous." He spent the whole game on the wing. There's no forward in the middle, so I, you know, you can't, you can't. Leaper's not going to change his spots, right? So you're not going to convert a winger that runs by people, and then crosses the ball into a guy that's going to be an in the box sniffer of goals. I mean, Martinez's grasp for the goal and grasp for the moment and the grasp of being in the right place. The instincts are phenomenal. You know, it, I've I've had a coach say to me before. I I can help you box to box. I can coach you up and we can get transition down and we can help your skill levels. But the bottom line is when you're in the box and the ball comes into you, that's you. That's why people pay $2 million, $10 million, $200 million for strikers. It's that instinct and that guts
0: and that moment in the box that you can't teach. It just seems to be a really odd comparison. So, uh, Dan, and, and this is I wanted to talk to you about because you actually wrote a really, really good article for us uh, a couple of days later. Because in the interview, uh, Dan Hunt goes on to try to throw out some—I some, think he's using some statistics about leading scores not going into the playoffs or also falling out in the first uh, game of the playoffs that I thought were a little uh, disingenuous— because then he tries to make some comparisons positionally about other teams. And you wrote an article uh, trying to say how Dallas would would
1: compare playing those teams' formations. So essentially, you know, it's his thing about 13 of the 25 leading scorers didn't make the playoffs. Dan Hunt has successfully identified that only 12 of 23 teams can make the playoffs. You know, he went through a couple of teams... Citing uh you know have it not having a leading number nine sport in Kansas City whose entire game plan has been three really good number nines. It won them an MLS Cup. It's been you know it's been what Peter Vermees has put out. Um, you know, you've got guys like uh Christian Namath, you've got Johnny Russell, you've got Diego Rubio, all guys that represent their nations, you've got uh Salvi. Kyrie Shelton, who, tr- who caused FC Dallas so many troubles. Uh, Christian Lobato. But more importantly, behind them, you've got Roger Espinosa. You've got uh, Felipe Gutierrez, who plays for Chile. You've got Ilya Sanchez, uh, who came through the Barcelona system. And you can kind of make these comparisons across each of the teams. Essentially, it's a striker is great, but a striker in a crap team is still a crap team. You know, it's it's a weird comparison. Um, in our article, uh, you know, we looked at kind of fitting around different systems. Uh, I think if you were to kind of like try and compare anyone the most, uh, you're probably looking more at Portland uh, just on the basis that they tend to play more defensive-minded midfielders. You know, FC Dallas, unless you want to call Brandon Sylvania 34 games MLS ready, the team lacks a true number eight. You know they play that kind of weird Christmas tree formation quite a lot. That's been uh, Gio Savarese's trademark. In which case, you know you're going to bank on a number nine uh, with two tens behind them. You want to talk about a dominant number nine? where well, the number nine position for Portland has contributed six goals and six uh, sorry, sixteen goals and six assists. You know, for FC Dallas, you're talking about your entire front four just to make up that one position.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a weird comparison on Dan's part. Dan Hunt that is not Dan Crook. Um, and, and the story that he's trying to build that he feels like that Dallas can be more like these teams uh, using the pieces they already have, it just doesn't seem to, uh, to calculate or, or make any sense. My immediate reaction after reading this is that, oh my God, uh, Oscar Perea is probably reading this and he's just like his hair starting to catch on fire.
2: Well, that was one of the things that I was reading I, as I was thinking, none of this matches what Oscar has been saying all season. And not just in the nine, all the rest of it, too. You know, I, I, I don't I've been wanting to ask Oscar and, and he's uh, visiting some colleges with his son this weekend. So I I left him alone. But,
0: or is he? It,
2: no, he is. Uh, but we have all winter to talk to him. So, I mean, I'm going to talk to him about it this week and see what he says about it. You know, I, he probably won't want to contradict his owner, I imagine. But there's a point at which you wonder uh, the, the whole thing. I, I just couldn't help but wonder the, about it. You know, it just it confused me so much. And I'm sure that while I didn't talk to Oscar, I did talk to several of his assistants this week and it was prior to that article coming out. And they all, you know, talked about the same thing Oscar has talked about all year. I mean, it's not like these are like secret mysteries, you know, you watch the team play, it's pretty clear where their deficiencies are. You know, five of the six things I wrote about before the season even started, Turned out to be correct that they were deficiencies That cost them in the end
0: You know I just begin to wonder if this is a function of You know everybody loves Dan and Dan's well Intended and he's enthusiastic And you can tell he's really you know Of the two brothers he's the one that's Really truly passionate about this Beyond the bottom line but then he says Some of these, these things including This other quote that really uh, Blew my mind he was talking about Santiago uh, Mascara And that he thought that uh, He predicted that he'd be a double digit goal scorer in 2019
2: yeah he played in 29 games that's only five games off of the total 34 so it's i don't you know i, I will the one side the one note i will uh say on that is that uh, a player in his second year i do expect him to take a step forward you know i think there's actually a good chance that he'll end up in the same sort of Yeruti lama language next season which is your 8-9 if he has a really good year, maybe he hits ten. But um, you know, it, I'm not too far off, Dan. I don't. I'm not sure I'm buying double digits, but I do expect to get him to get close to that next year.
0: Then in the article, he talks a little bit about the stories about Pablo. Uh, he kind. I'm sorry. Am I reading this differently or inferring this differently? Or does he throw Perea under the bus with the comment? Uh, quote as his playing time lessened down the stretch, that obviously i don't think that helped him in his development
2: yeah, a little bit <laughs> i mean I think it's pretty uh, you know i he doesn't outright say I put that on Oscar, but he definitely says lack of playing time hurt hurt him but i, I think i don't i think that's a bit disingenuous i mean i've already i 've talked many times <laughs> about the, the amount of stats and the amount of opportunities that Arangis was creating when he was playing. Lots of flash, but none of it was connecting. That's why we talk so much about his future. I just don't think the impact was there. As exciting as he looks, it wasn't translating into opportunities and goals, in my opinion. So I, I, I totally understand why Oscar didn't play him down the stretch.
1: Yeah, Dan Hunt, the bus driver. Um, I think you could also, with the second half of that quote, um, see a, a little snipe aimed at Oscar about not uh, not playing Paxton Pomacol enough. I think if... Uh, You know, if you want to go a step further, Paxton, and and if Paxton wasn't deemed to be 18th or 19th man material, that he could have gone out and loaned. And that's something that, in his position, Dan Hunt could have been in that discussion for. So, you know, certainly time on the field for FC Dallas. But if he wants to go about Paxton's overall uh, progression as well, you know he's got to take a share of the blame himself, uh, more so that than with Aaron Geese.
2: Yeah, yeah. When it comes to when it comes to Paxton, they flat out said that because he was in the eighteen and because he was in the discussion for like the game every week, that's why they didn't loan him. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think they had ideas that he would play more, and I definitely would agree that this is the one time I actually agree with Hunt. I would have liked to have seen Oscar play him a
0: little more, but. Well, I, yep. I do think it was a surprise based on how this season ended up. He actually played more minutes in 2017 than he did in 2018. He had, if I'm, if, again, if my math is right, uh, he had 140 minutes in four games in, seven, in 2017, and he played 125 minutes in seven games this season. That's really paltry and super disappointing based on what we all had hoped would transpire and what we'd see out of him um, uh, this past year.
2: Well, whenever we talk about Pomico, the only thing I can think is that that kid, more than anyone else, is going to be the guy that will be the symbol of what it meant to not have a USL team the last two years. Because he's the the guy, the poster boy for this gap where, as a 16-year-old, he was, oh my gosh, let's get this kid signed, and then they have nowhere to play him for for two or three years now.
0: Yeah. Uh but and Dan, I don't know if you've watched any of the U twenty games that he's been playing in lately. There is clearly a difference between Paxton Palmicall when he's playing with the U twenties and the national team versus the time we've seen him play in an FC Dallas senior team shirt.
1: I haven't had a chance to see any of the under twenty games, but um, you know, the case That's the case when he plays for the nineteens, he commands the game. He gets into MLS games and you know, if you discount Seattle three nil up, uh, having a little run down the right wing and making a couple of passes backwards. It's quite passive.
2: Well let's be very clear about this U twenty games they've played so far. They're playing some really, really bad teams and just crushing them. This is not even close to the A team for the U twenties, and they're winning games thirteen to one. The next round when they gotta play Costa Rica, Honduras, and if you advance, you know, Mexico's I mean, then we're gonna see. Let's watch Paxton play against those games those are going to be real tests.
0: All right, so then uh, later in the article, he does make mention of Jesus Ferreira and Thomas Roberts, as players who, you know, <clears throat> maybe they'll get some time in 2019, but are we really thinking there's any chance um, we'll see any significant time for either one of those guys next year, considering they're both still barely old enough to drive?
2: Uh, Ferreira, yes. He's the he's the um, only nine you have on the roster now that Coleman's essentially out for the year. Um, he's the only guy that can play that role at all. <clears throat> now, it, he'll be like uh, some of these guys that'll that'll be in the 18 and get into some games, but he, he's not going to be an answer by any means, but he will get action. Thomas Roberts, I, I don't think so. Thomas Roberts has, is way better than the U19 level, but there's a big difference between. Uh, now, keep in mind, Thomas Roberts does for sure play the same position as Arangis does. So if you want Arangis to play, Thomas Roberts is not going to play and vice versa. There's a big, big part of controlling a game as a number 10 that Arangis is still learning, let alone Thomas Roberts. So Thomas Roberts is going to start you know, 30 games for the USL team this year. I I don't anticipate you'll see him play for the MLS side at all. I think Ferreira is going to be, let's say, he'll be your uh, Tesho Akindeli-ish, I think, this year. I think that's what his role is going to be. Some late-game subs, maybe 10 games or so. I'm thinking, you know, that's where I think he'll be.
0: All right, so uh, I think we squeezed all the juice out of that. Um, Are are you guys watching MLS playoffs this year?
1: Dan? Not one minute. Uh, Been pretty bad with that this season. I probably won't watch anything until MLS Cup. You know, I... I have found, historically, if Dallas is
0: not in it, I don't watch a lot of it. But for some reason this year, I've watched more. Um, uh, and, uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you, that Seattle-Portland game the other night, I, I don't care what level of this game you watch and are, are stuck on. I don't care if you're a hardcore EPL fan or a second-division Danish league fan or, or whatever – if you love the sport of soccer, that game the other night on, I guess it was Thursday night, that was as entertaining as any sport, period, gets. Yeah, I, th- I
2: thought that whole series was phenomenal. You know, and, and that series underlined for me something that I talk about a lot and something that you talk about a lot. They're different things. I talked about how, how hot Seattle was coming in, how they'd won fortunately, their last 16. And they got to the playoffs and it pretty much didn't matter. And, and Portland limped in and it didn't matter because of something you talk about all the time, which is guys that are able to elevate themselves in special occasions. Now in this game, you watch Seattle with uh, Rui Diaz, who is well worth every penny of their $7 million transfer fee. They paid for that guy and his $7 million salary, 7 million over three years salary. And then you watch the other time and you got guys like uh, Diego Valeri doing what he does. You know, it's just like, and uh, to Blanco to a lesser extent, but Valeria, you know, guys that were able to command the moment and be huge, not just huge uh, in terms of like their actual production, but huge in terms of their personality and their control of the moment, rising in the
0: moment, attracting your eyes and attracting your attention. And Dallas just does not have that guy. Seattle got very unlucky with the injuries to Roldan and uh, Marshall uh, which were, I think, really yeah. critical differences between what happened in Game 1 and Game 2. Both those teams have significant difference makers, and um, I tweeted this out. Uh, I think it was either either first or second game is, you know, some teams go out in midseason and buy a Liga MX leading scorer, and other teams don't. And that's not a shot necessarily at FC Dallas, although it's applicable to that. But there's a difference between teams that you know say, okay, we're going to take this seriously and we're going to do something that will help change our team now, not yeah. – Somebody we're going to pick up and hope they'll help us a year from now or in next season, and that's just a, a fundamental ideology difference uh, between you know a, a, an Atlanta or a Seattle and a lot of other MLS teams. I mean, it's it's not a label you apply just to one; it applies to many other MLS teams, and it's kind of that growing difference between the have and have-nots that we're really starting to see in this league.
2: The mo- as you say, the model between the the teams that are the big, powerful signings, big names, big money. And the the teams that act like they're small market teams like FC Dallas, that gulf is going to get bigger and bigger.
0: Well, Dan, what I think part of what you're missing out and not watching these games so far, and I would highly recommend you pick them back up before MLS Cup, is, um, you know, game for game, no matter where the games have been on what night or whatever, the atmosphere in all the stadiums has been fantastic. Um, Red Bull, uh, which is a team that historically has had some attendance issues, um, had a fantastic crowd. And by the way, Red Bull Arena is a kick-ass soccer stadium, period the end. It is fantastic. And when it's full, uh, they really have a, a cool thing going on there. Uh, and and I think these the Atlanta Red Bull games are going to be great, and the Portland Kansas City games, both of those are going to be fantastic because you know both of those uh, stadiums always have fantastic atmospheres. So Dan, would you promise everybody that you'll watch the semi the semifinals, please? Or the conference I would finals. definitely
1: try to do that, and I do support your opinion that Red Bull Arena is a fantastic stadium.
0: Okay, so uh, watch MLS playoffs. Uh, they've been fantastic so far, and I suspect they'll just get better from here on out. So let's start talking about next year, which is originally what we wanted to talk about in this episode, which is what what does Dallas do at this point? What, you know, How do they fix things? Dan's suggesting – not Dan Clark uh, – uh, Dan Crook. Dan Hunt yeah. is uh, – <laughs> at least intimating, at least I'm inferring from his comments, he doesn't think they got to do anything, uh, but we know that's not true. So, uh, are we getting a new goalkeeper? Are we happy with Jesse? I don't know if we're getting one or not. Um, I don't. I definitely think we're not happy with Jesse. Uh,
2: you know, both uh, Jesse and Maurer have flaws. Um, and you, you could probably say that about any keeper in Major League like Soccer, to be fair. Jesse is a great shot stopper, as good as we've ever seen in Dallas, but his decision-making is really poor. His shenanigans are, are getting him in trouble and he's, he's costing the team down the stretch. Maurer is a, a much better communicator and a much better uh, at sort of keeping some cohesion. And I've talked to some of the defenders about it a little bit, and they all know that, that Maurer's better in terms of his communication and is better with the ball at his feet in terms of like keeping possession. But uh, you know, he's just not the shot stopper that Jesse is. So whether they would want to spend some money and upgrade at that spot may have a lot to do with whether they could get money for one of the, or the other of the keepers that they already have. If they were to lose Maurer in the expansion draft, maybe that could affect that as, as well, of course. Or if somebody came in for Jesse from Mexico, maybe that could affect that as well.
0: All right, I may be making a mountain out of a molehill, but I was watching the highlights of the Portland game, and on the Diego Valeri free kick, uh as we all know Jesse's footwork on it was a bit questionable and Jesse uh has to kind of late re- uh, react back to his right and he ends up crumpled up against the near goalpost and if you watch the highlights of that on mlssoccer.com there's a final angle from behind the goal and something hap- something happens in that replay that completely stood out to me and i want to know if you guys saw this too and i'm i'm just making stuff up because i'm weird but there's Matt Hedges runs towards Jesse um, as the as this whole sequence is happening. Jesse is crumpled on the ground. The ball is in the net, and Matt literally walks right by Jesse and doesn't even give a hint that he's even thinking about helping Jesse off the floor. And it just looks really, really weird in that moment. And I don't know if that's Matt acting is frustrated that Jesse should have saved it he's just mad at the situation
1: um yeah it was it was interesting um I when you originally mentioned it I didn't think a whole lot of it went back and watched it and Matt changes his direction entirely to go straight past Jesse it in terms of bodywork, it was kind of like um how players were about Raul Fernandez when he would uh, try and pull off a, a really late Acrobatic save, fall on his face, watch the ball trickle in and then, you know, Stephen Keel would just give him one of those looks. Give him the double finger. Something like that.
2: I, I think there's some frustration in the moment there. You know, I don't I don't know that overall, like uh, you know, I I have talked to um Hedges a little bit, you know, about his relationship with Jesse. And I, I think the relationship is really good. You know, I don't I don't see like an overall discontent with Jesse by, by anybody. I just feel like that probably was a moment of
0: frustration. Fair enough. Okay. Well, everybody else can go look at it themselves and give us a reaction. I I can't imagine defensively. This team's going to change very much. We know Ziegler's on contract. Matt's on contract. Uh, uh, Buzz, you've made a fantastic case that they need to give, well, let me go let me do it this way. Pedroso on a contract, so we know those are all set. The question that's kind of w- oddly lingering out there is what's going on with Reggie Cannon's deal. Uh, he's on a homegrown deal. Um, you've made a fantastic case that they need to pay the kid more money commiserate with the <laughs> amount of production they've gotten out of him this singularly uh, this season alone, along with the fact that it's likely in the next season or so, if not potentially this off season, he may have interest elsewhere outside of this country.
2: Yeah, he apparently is under contract for next season because he's practicing, uh, and that tells us he's under contract. But I'm sure it's on the same uh, low budget off off budget roster section. The same sixty seven thousand, I think it is. So uh, that's the article I wrote or in the midseason was that they really have to got to lock this kid up and pay him uh, commensurate with what his playing time says he should be getting paid, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred or three hundred thousand a year. So if they don't lock him up in the next year or so, I'm sure that eventually,
0: uh, you know, as soon as his deal runs out, he's gone. Okay, so we move into midfield. Uh, Buzz, you figured out who is and not on contract. Who in the midfield now do we know is not under contract and who is, et cetera?
2: There's the, the only player that is out of contract completely is, uh, I believe it's Akindeli. Um, everybody else has options, which is not the same as... Um, being out of contract, there's a, there's a selection of players that uh, aren't allowed to train. And those are the guys whose contracts weren't picked up yet. Uh, So the players that they, uh, the players that they did not pick up options on yet is Lamar Figueroa on defense, uh, Aguilar, who's 33. We're not surprised by that. Um, And then some defenders, Akindeli, Jacory Hayes, they haven't picked up yet. Holling said they haven't picked up yet. Now, they could have happened over the last three or four days, and they had till November 26th to do it. So um, the only one for sure that they has to get a completely new deal is Tasho. The rest of them have to uh, or can be picked up, but uh, they also just could be like, oh, thanks for coming, and let the, the door hit you in the butt. So if, there are some question marks there. If they if they let a bunch of those guys go, uh, and Chala got sold, by the way, so if they if they let Chala, Chala's gone, if they let a couple more guys go, they could easily clear $2 million off of their cap. And have lots of room to do some
0: stuff. So, are season ticket holders do a Chala check soon? I don't know. I don't know whether they
2: just let his deal run out or whether they sold him. It came up in the uh, Dan Hunt article, actually, I believe, I know. Uh, of all things. Um, so, they didn't say how they got rid of him. So, you know, whether they just sold him to the LDU Quinto or whether they just let his deal run out would depend on whether you're going to get a check, I suppose. I always find that such an odd thing.
1: Maybe it'll be a, a Chala charge. They'll just get a request for an extra payment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, the season ticket holders. You actually owe us money for, the, this, for this Chala deal. <laughs> We're not going to give you a $10 credit on your next season tickets. We're actually going to charge you $7.53 more because of how that deal went down. Um, so I guess in terms of other positional needs in this team, uh, if they're not going to go out and get a number nine, uh, buzz, what do you, what else do you think is going to change? Cause you're right. Uh, historically, this team does change four, five, six people, um, yeah. every year. Um, I'm just going to forget everything Dan said and just take it as bunk. I'm going to go with what I know, and I know they're going to make changes. What else do you think yes. they'll do at this point?
2: Well, I think other than our slight concern at goalkeeper, the defense is good. I mean, they got all four starters under contract coming back. That's fine. Uh, midfield. Um, there's some d- contract weight they can clear. Uh, I think they'd like to get an eight, um, uh, a guy that can link a guy that, uh, was supposed to be, uh, Kellen Acosta, but he never got hundred percent healthier back to form or mentally right or whatever. They, they were missing that guy. So if you, if you play the same formation, you probably still want to see either Grezo or Yoloa step out for somebody who can link, um, our friend Andy Swift thinks Paxton can do that job. Uh, I don't think Oscar thinks that. Brandon Cervania, who's with the 20s and has been playing really well for both the 20s and on loan, is an internal guy that might get a look at that spot. Otherwise, I think that eight spots a place they might look to try and get somebody. A lot of that might depend on whether Grezzo leaves or not. I have no hard evidence that Grezzo's leaving. I just have a gut instinct that Grezzo's leaving. So, But, but he's he under contract. At, he is under contract, but that doesn't mean anything you know, that is Castillo will demonstrate that for you. So um, I just have a gut instinct that the time is right for Grezzo. He j- he's back in Ecuador. He was playing his best form since a couple months since he got here, really, the last half of the season. I just feel like that's on the cards. I could be wrong. Like I said, it's just a gut instinct. So and not- you're looking at Vic probably as a pure holder. You need a guy who can connect. And so maybe they want to spend a little money there. Uh, they got 18 lean wings, so that's fine. So other than a nine – you need a linker. That's pretty much how I see it.
0: Part of this is I find most confusing uh, is, uh, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but it always goes back to what are they going to do at, at the nine position? Because um, let's assume that Pablo is, he can play that 10, right? And he kind of fills in that attacking position behind the striker as a true 10. And we're all yeah. excited about that. Well, who's going to play the nine? Because we it, it's not Max Arruti. He's not a nine. He's not very good in that position. So I have two questions, whether if if you don't, if you don't, if you don't buy a new nine who plays in that position, but if you uh, do, where does a Rudy go in all of this? Well, he might go to the bench. He
2: might go to playing some wing um, with, you know, taking turns with Barrios or Mascara, you know, he might, might still kind of go in the same nine and a half role with, Arangi's not playing, you know, some of that's going to be determined over this winter as we see what they do. Uh, it might, the the best option might be a change in formation. One that uses two strikers and a 10, you know, you could go a three, five, two, for example, uses that formation or some versions of what the four, three, three do as well. So I think there's a lot of things at play and it's a lot of things going to be determined by who they can or can't get this winter. And, and, and what we see going into the spring in terms of what they try working on over the spring training and who plays their way into a team. And, uh, and then what's something we've talked about too, is maybe, maybe they even start the year, not knowing the answer to that question. Maybe that's part of what the first half of next year is, is figuring out all those answers. You know, maybe this is a team that is tired of being great at the start and wants to kind of figure it out. So there's a bunch of questions that have to be answered this winter and, and who they sign or don't sign is going to tell us a lot about that.
0: And, you know, I just thought about something. You had mentioned them playing three in the back. If they did that, you know, while they're set defensively with the starters, they probably do need to get another center back. Um, unless we're convinced that Moises Hernandez has uh, decided to fall into line and he's he's a, a properly serviceable long-term option if they need that off the bench.
2: Well, I think you're going to have to replace Figueroa in, at least, um, you know, which is, uh, a depth position. Um, Chris Richards could come back from Byron if they choose not to buy him for a big chunk of fat money. That That's a nice piece in we that if he, kid again. Yeah, I don't think we are either. But if he comes back, I actually think you're okay. I'm I'm happy with him backing up uh, Hedges and, and Reto. I don't think he'd add somebody if, if he comes back. If he doesn't come back and Figueroa has gone, which I think we're pretty safe to assume he is, then I think you're right that they'll need a body there. Now they could draft somebody or they could sign somebody or trade somebody. There's lots of options available. But I think that's definitely a position of depth need.
1: I was going to say, do you see uh, Chris Reeves coming back?
2: Chris Reeves needs to stay healthy. If Chris Reeves can't stay healthy, then Chris Reeves won't be around next year. If Chris Reeves can stay healthy, then I think Chris Reeves is a very viable answer as a center back. But even if you have him – if Richards doesn't come back, you can't count on Jordan Kano yet, and maybe you never can. So if, if Figueroa is gone and Richards doesn't come back, and even if you have Reeves healthy, you still need another body in there. If Reeves isn't healthy and can't stay healthy, then you for sure need another one because now you might need two. So it, there's that center back is depth is a question for sure. Uh, and I, I actually think Moises Hernandez has done, has done a pretty decent job. And But uh, like I've said eight times already in this last ten seconds, uh, Chris Richards is the linchpin on that. If Richards comes back, they're fine. If Richards doesn't come back, then they're going to get a big fat check, and they'll hopefully go buy somebody.
0: And then the fans. Do the fans get a, a check for selling uh, Chris Richards? That, uh, I don't know. Into, does that fall into the, uh, into the it deal? It should. It should.
2: It should. Yeah, uh, a here's a silver. I'm going to give you a silver lining on if they sell Chris Richards. One of the reasons, one of the things that FC Dallas sells to kids that they're trying to recruit for the academy is that the, FC Dallas is a club that has not only a path to their MLS team, but a path to other teams in the world. You can point at Weston McKinney as one that they didn't get, and now if they sell Richards, they'll be able to point at Richards as a player that, hey, you can sign for us, and we're still going to be able to facilitate you to go. So the silver lining is that a sale of Richards will be a big check, and it will be uh, a payoff in terms of your ability to recruit talent into your academy. Now, obviously, I for one would rather have Richards, but you know it's it is what it is. That's the silver lining.
0: Buzz, uh, and you have mentioned multiple times uh, throughout the you know the time that we've been talking uh, since we last uh, did episode four, the team fi- formally announced that they will be having a USL team next year. Hallelujah, hooray, finally. Um, It's happening, Um, and they will be playing in in USL League One, which will be a third division, which is the new third division uh, that they've created. Uh, And they'll be playing most – they'll be playing – this is the part that I got a little – that I didn't think was really clear. They're going to be playing games at Toyota Stadium – but then they may also be playing elsewhere. Does that mean elsewhere at the, at the facility or are they hinting that they may be playing games throughout the Metroplex?
2: No, throughout the Metroplex, they, they haven't said where um, I, my assumption is that they're negotiating with somebody and, or trying to decide what will be optimum. I think the idea is to have, you know, these satellite games and try and sell the brand and sell the franchise, not the USL franchise, the whole overall FC Dallas franchise, because it is a collective. So um, I think that'll be part of it. But, so they they mean they mean at a, at another location, whether that be and I'm just going to pull things out of the air, whether that be MoneyGram, whether that be somewhere in Fort Worth where they've played a U.S. Open Cup game, you know, something like that. Maybe downtown Dallas, maybe even the Cotton Bowl. For all I know,
0: Oof. that sounds expensive though. I hope um, they play at uh, Moss Park.
1: They'll probably do the colleges go to SMU, go to UNT's new facility when it's open, TCU. Try yeah, and yeah. Well, uh, without do that without way.
2: without looking it up, I assume that USL three will have some sort of stadium requirements. I mean, you can't just go play a game anywhere. You know, you have to have a level of facility. So right. I, obviously, the level of facility for a USL team is far less than a USL one or a Major League Soccer team. So you know, I, they'll have to negotiate some sort of facility with somebody. You know, where where the, who that is and where that is and how much does it cost them, That that's all up in the air. And that stuff we'll learn at a later
0: date. And do we know timing-wise when uh, they'll reveal the official name of the team and branding, and uh, w- do we have any sense as to what that's going to be? Is it going to be Little Huntsman or uh, <laughs> FC Dallas 2 or Dallas well, the, Juniors?
2: The safe assumption is that it'll be something FC Dallas, whether it be They used FC Dallas Juniors for the Academy originally before there was an Academy. They use uh, FC Dallas 2 or Orlando City uses Orlando City B, OCB, which is kind of clever. There's actually a fresh hot rumor floating around today that they're going to use the Dallas Tornado brand, which would be amazing. I mean, that would be amazing. But I would find that a little odd because of the fact that you're trying to sell the FC Dallas brand. But, you know, they own the Dallas Tornado brand. So if they're going to do that, I think that would be Phenomenal. But like I said, that's pure rumor. That's not, I don't have anything to back that up. I'm going to ask about it, but I don't as of yet have anything for that rumor other than the fact that it's deliciously fun.
0: Uh, Dan, do you have any sense? I know that you you know, you know have pretty good ties with the supporter groups and so forth. Do you have any sense um, in the rank and file of the supporter groups of their intention to attend uh, these USL games?
1: I've not there a, I mean, it's a, is there a, a level months. of
0: excitement or interest or do you feel like that's going to be something that people add to their, you know, their schedule or is it something that's going to end up having to take place of going to a, a senior, a senior team games?
1: I kind of see it the same way people are about Dallas cup. It's great to see the players getting time on the field and progressing, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of shopping in Frisco to do and all this other stuff.
2: I think that's one of the reasons why they're looking at alternative venues, because if you're playing in Toyota Stadium, you might have 200 people there, honestly, yeah. for a USL game. But if you can put half their games or, or who knows how many, six or ten of their games at some other place and try and market it you know, locally down there is it's a unique opportunity. You know, whether it's one location or six other locations, that'll provide you little bubbles of hits. But let's be honest. I mean, this thing is going to lose money. On, like in and of itself a usl team even though your your roster of players is going to cost you basically nothing because they'll all be either academy kids or mls players playing down you still have all the costs that are going into this and the revenue streams are going to be so small uh, if they manage to turn a profit with it i'll full credit to them man but otherwise i just i just look at it as the hunts again putting their money where they think it is most good which is the development of the Guys coming out of the homegrown, their academy.
0: Well, it, and it's certainly in their defense is an argument as to why they picked to do uh, USL league one versus USL championship, because the, just the cost of entry mm. is, yeah. man, it's, it's huge. It's a half, it's, it's $500 million or no, no, I'm sorry. It's, it's yeah, uh, 500 million. <laughs> sorry,
1: it's one way to bankrupt them. It's, it's Wow.
0: It's, it, it was $5 million versus $700,000, right? Yeah. And I think it's got, it's gone up to
2: 7 million. It was 5 million for USL. And now oh, okay. It's going to be seven. Well, and, and it's five hundred thousand for one for USL three.
0: Yeah, but I think we all agree the 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 gap in quality between the two leagues is way smaller and finer than the than the cost difference.
2: Yeah, you know, USL three or what, what they're going to call League One is it doesn't even exist. So, like, all ten of these teams are going to be made from scratch. So it's entirely possible somebody's one of these teams is going to mess it up and you might get a team that's really, really terrible and then you might get a team that's going to be really, really good. Uh, honestly, I think Dallas, whatever Dallas runs out there, which is going to be a combination of MLS players playing down and academy kids playing up, might end up being the best team in the league, to be honest yeah. with you.
0: Yeah, and Buzz, I think uh, it may be helpful uh, for people listening. You know, you've talked about this. Why don't you repeat what you how you think this team will be constructed? Well, this is This is both what I think is going to happen and what they have flat out told me is going
2: to happen, was that you might actually see a USL roster uh, of players signed just to USL of only maybe five guys. So if you're still talking about a team needs 20 to 30 players to function through the course of a long season, you're talking about anywhere from 10, uh, as many as 10, maybe even more, on any given weekend coming from the MLS team down it's like MLS has 30 players you have 18 on game day and three or four of them are going to get in so you're still talking about as many as 15 guys on a given weekend aren't going to play for the MLS team that's your USL team there's going to be a couple of guys that are going to sign directly to the USL team maybe some ex-academy guys that are sort of tweeners you know you're uh, You're guys like uh, Damus from uh, last year, maybe like that. Maybe there's four or five of those guys. Uh, But mostly it's going to be homegrowns and budget and GA players coming down. And they're going to promote up five or six guys from the U19 team. And these guys will essentially be unpaid academy players that are still U19 academy players. But they're going to train every day. With the USL team, the USL team will train on the field next to the pro team. Some days they'll integrate, some days they won't, but they're going to be right there with them. And so those five or six guys are going to be pulled out of the U19 team to basically be full-time USL players, even though they won't be paid yet. Now, that's important because you can play in the USL and not lose your eligibility. So because we're talking about kids still on a lot of them. But the idea is like we've got four or five guys that are on our 19 team in the academy that are already way better than the academy. And so any given game they're playing doesn't challenge them at all. It's going to be much better for those 5 or 6, 18, 17-year-olds to go play with a USL team and actually be challenged week to week to week. And that will actually have a trickle-down effect through the entire academy because now I'm going to lose 5 or 6 players out of my U19 team. Rather than bring up guys from maybe like the premier sides, which are like the next level down from the academy at the 19 level, they're going to take 5 or 6 guys out of the U17 team and move them up to the U-19 team. So you'll end up with FC Dallas essentially fielding a U-17 team in the U-19 bracket. And so all of those guys are now going to be challenged on a daily basis at a higher level than they would just in the 17 team. And that trickle-down effect will actually happen all the way through the academy, and guys will play up levels even more than they are so you're looking at a USL team that'll be five, six, seven guys will come down from MLS to start. Five, six, seven guys are going to come up from the academy to start and sit on the bench. A couple of guys signs, signed directly USL contracts, sprinkled in. That's your USL team. So, you're Buzz, gonna have buzz, buzz what, you're,
0: what you're essentially saying is is that the winning percentage of all of the FC Dallas academy teams is about to take a serious hit. It is,
2: but they don't care. Right. Because the, the whole point of the academy – from a MLS perspective, the ownership perspective, is to develop players. That's all it is for. Now, they, they do serve a secondary purpose of trying to find all the rest of the kids' college places to play and try and develop them and help them as much as they can. But what it's really about is making the best five or six players in any given age bracket better. It's about making those best guys better. So their overall winning percentage will take a hit. That's true. But they don't care.
0: Man, I can't wait to go watch me some Ponder Tornadoes. (laughs) I don't know
2: if it'll be Ponder.
0: (laughs) Dallas Tornadoes is a much better
2: brand. (laughs) Oh, it's Tornado. I just said Tornadoes. It's Tornado.
0: Yeah, you're right. Singular. Uh, yeah. and then, you know, and while we're talking about all of this, Buzz, you, uh, arguably the most art, the most popular thing we've posted at third degree in the last forever was your, uh, breaking scoop, uh, about the Chris Capis situation. Why don't you oh, kind yeah. of, uh, quickly debrief everybody on that, uh, insane, uh, very MLS like yeah. story.
2: Well, from the FC Dallas perspective, the two important things that happened with Chris Kappas, uh. If you don't know who he is by now, he's a a kid that just came out of the academy. Uh, I'll try and make it a short version. Kappas was from Houston, and he and Chris Richards both played for Texans, which is a club in Houston, not Dallas Texans that's up here, Texans in Houston. They won a national championship two years ago in the DA, and uh, the FC Dallas contacted their club. Uh, Eric Quill is a former MLS player said, absolutely, those two guys need to come to your academy. So Richards and Capus came up to the academy. No promises on the table, but obviously the point is, is if you play really well, you can sign a home ground. Neither one of those guys was entered in Houston. Richards is from Alabama. So when, at the end of the year when he was great, they're like, great, we're signing him, no problem. Capus is from Houston. So when FC Dallas said, great, you've been with our academy for a year, which is an important rule. You have to be with an academy for a year to sign as a home. Dallas tried to sign him and Houston filed a complaint because of the homegrown territory rule, which says that only <laughs> you can sign a player that's from a certain distance from around your club. Now that's a legit rule. Houston's very correct to have complained. Okay. Oh. Here's what FC Dallas said about it. There's a loophole in the rule for homegrown territories. and I'm sorry. This is complicated. The loophole says that if an entire family moves to a new team's territory, your parents have gotten transferred. Maybe someone's got a chance to go to some weird school or something. If the whole family goes, they're exempt from the homegrown territory. The reason that applies to Kappas is because Kappas was 18 when he joined FC Dallas's academy. He was already an adult. So essentially, he's not essentially legally in every ways that matters. He is his whole family. He came here on his own to join the academy. He could have signed anywhere in the world at that point a contract if he wanted to. He chose to join the FC Dallas Academy and play there for a year so that he could then, if he got the offer, sign with FC Dallas. So he wanted to be with Dallas. Dallas wanted to sign him. He had no interest in Houston Dynamo, never played for Houston Dynamo, and Houston Dynamo still blocked him. And they actually don't even have a way to sign him. There's no method in the rule books that would have allowed them to sign him. All they did was prevent Dallas from signing him. And now he's signed in Denmark with a pro team over there and made his debut the day after he signed and yeah. had an assist
0: in his first ever start. And had an assist in his first ever game.
2: Yeah. <sighs> yeah,
0: yeah. How long does he have to play overseas or outside of MLS before he theoretically could come back? Or could he? And if he does, no, he does, can. He, yeah. does he fall into some sort of allocation list?
2: The minute he signed a pro contract with somebody else, he became discoverable. Yeah. So Dallas can now discover him if, for example, he signed a one-year deal, like a six-month deal, I mean, who knows? His deal could have run out. Even before he signed that deal, he could have he could have signed, for example, with Byron, and they could have loaned him back to Dallas. That would have been nice. But, um, you know, essentially now that he's signed with somebody else, the homegrown territory rule is gone. And now if he were to become a free agent
0: now, you could sign him by any of the rules that would apply. And in
2: his case, that would be the discovery
0: rule. And And really the most painful part in all of this, Buzz, is – um, he's not just another homegrown i I think I'm correct in saying you've told me he was by and far the best player in the system bar none uh,
2: I, I I ranked him in my own personal uh, opinion as better than a better prospect than cervania and I probably would put him ahead of Paxton now he's a different kind of player than uh, Paxton Paxton's really creative on the ball Capus is a a, a six, a, a holding mid, or an eight, a linking mid, one or the other. Uh, but he's super smart, and he, he controls and dominates games. It's not just his ability on the ball, which is really, really good. It's his will and his determination uh, and his soccer smarts. I've literally seen him play pretty much every position on the field but goalkeeper for the 19s. And my favorite story for him is when he was got called up as the U, to the U-20s as a replacement for Paxton Pomical, strangely enough when Paxton got held back by Dallas because he was in the 18 one time, Kappas was his replacement and over in Spain. And Kappas flew back from Spain, a 16-hour flight, and it was in the middle of the Dallas Cup. And he walked off a plane, and then and the coaches were like, no, you're not going to play today. And he basically said to the coach, oh, I'm playing. And he three hours after he got off a plane, he walked into a Dallas Cup game and dominated the game. Was by far the best player in the game, and his coach called it the best player. Performance of the entire tournament, so that's the kind of player he is. And if you've watched him with the team, you would see what I was talking about. I rate the guy massively, but you know it's a player they've missed out on. So I don't. Maybe we shouldn't be pounding the ground too much about it, but uh, I think it's a big miss, and it's not. It's through no fault of their own uh, from them, and you can't really blame Houston for doing what they thought was appropriate either. It's just a quirk in the rules as cost fc dallas and and them not being the galaxy they didn't get a loophole out of it to get the player they wanted
0: and alas we will not see him next year playing in the usl for the fc dallas hunt boys
2: no Hmm.
0: all right guys well uh i think we've burned a lot of time and uh talked a lot of words um dan we didn't get enough dan uh crook in this one i mean sorry you got, you got more to bring, don't you, buddy? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, we can always say that
0: for another day. Disappointing. We need more out of you, my friend. We're going to have to put you on the USL podcast.
1: Well, that'd be depressing.
0: Okay, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll do another one of these sometime in the near future. Uh, don't forget you can uh, follow on Twitter at Third Degree Net, the number three RD Degree Net, and also uh, find all of the content at the Dallas Morning News uh, on sportsdaydfw.com. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.